If you've ever been in a Greek organization, you know how hard it can be to organize things. Well, GreekTrack is a software that was completely developed and the business is completely managed by Tony Schmidt. He's an ex-Microsoft employee that created GreekTrack in his time at UK and has now moved back from Seattle to pursue it full-time as a lifestyle business. Let's hear it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast, Nate Antetomaso in cold and dark Chicago, Illinois, down in Lexington. Evan Knowles, how you doing, my friend? Pretty good. Doing well. Yeah. Is your uh, sunlight past four o'clock down there? Oh, yeah. I think it gets dark now around like six. Wow. That feels like that anyways, but the weather is mid-60s with very cold wind, right? So it's it's nice. Sounds like a freaking dream. Typical fall weather. Uh, the, the seasonal depression is starting up here. That yeah, season. I've heard, heard things about that in Chicago. I literally thought it was a joke, but it's not. Here we are. I think we talked. We probably talked about this last year at the round. I'm same sure, time. and I'm sure I was just as shocked then as I am now, and I will forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, down there in Lexington, you're at Awesome Inc. again, aren't you? Yeah, we're in uh, Morgan Franklin's office. So shout out to Morgan Franklin. Hey. He's the best real estate agent in Lexington, the best real estate agent in Kentucky. Uh, he's got wow. an office here in uh, Awesome Inc. Uh, we've got an awesome mic set up. So shout out to Garrett uh, for these mics. Um, it's an awesome, it's a good setup. So it's yeah. it was, this quality is probably going to be a little better. Did uh, Morgan give you a discount on your house for saying that? I didn't get a discount. No, <laughs> he did. A, he did a good job getting me set up, though. Yeah, that's all I needed. Is that the same office that we recorded our episode with him in? Uh, I don't remember our episode with him. Really? That was one of oh, our yes. first yes, like this on-site is the same episodes. episodes. Yes, this is the same office. Cool. Well, the setup's a little bit better down there now, but you're not in there alone. You're with our guest for today, who I'm super excited to talk about his journey and, and his product and what he's working on because we've kind of all been circling around him for a year or so plus but tony schmidt how you doing man doing great yeah thanks for having me on of course thank you for joining us um so evan uh, evan got you teed up to be on here so evan do you want to talk a little bit about your history with tony and then um i can share a little bit of mine and we'll go from there yeah so i met tony at an awesome ink five across like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we connected. He gave me his business card. Uh, he was working on some software that we're going to talk about here in a bit. I thought it was interesting. Um, just kind of stayed in touch. And uh, as of recently, we got lunch a couple times and just been, you know, talking more and more. At you know, we talked at um, Awesome Inc.'s retreat. So we've been, you know, becoming friends here recently. And so had to get him on. He's got a really amazing story. Uh, one of the most interesting things that he's working on right now is you know, a lifestyle, basically a lifestyle startup, like a tech company that is focused on, you know, not necessarily growing too big, but focused on, you know, sustaining the lifestyle that he wants. And so we're going to talk about that. Super interesting. But yeah, um, yeah, I've been uh, known Tony for a while now. So yeah, yeah. What about you? For sure. Tony, I met you. At, I don't know if it was the same five across or what, but it was the one that was at uh, Alltech where they had yeah. the, 
the open bar so that that made it fun that that one was really good that's where they had the gse program right yeah yeah all the gse people came in um that was that like was their really cool. their first offsite one i think so it was really yeah, cool gse was just such an amazing program i wish it was existed you know when i was going through school it's it's a really cool cool addition to to kentucky yeah for sure i wish they had that too yeah we uh we had tasha sams on here uh recently a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and so it was really cool to, to learn more from the inside of that um but we met there at that five across and then I had taken a shot at my own startup um, about that same time. Uh, you were nice enough to get coffee with me and teach me all about SEO because you have done some amazing SEO stuff with Greek Track. Uh, and then now we're back to talk all about it. So, again, thank you for joining us. But we've talked enough about you ourselves. Do you kind of want to give a little bit of a background um, about you, where you grew up, you know, how you got to here? And then we'll dive into some parts of that before we talk about Greek Track. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up here in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, Henry Clay High School, University of Kentucky grad. Um, Just loved it here in Lexington. I uh, went through as computer science. I took computer science pretty early, the AP class in high school freshman year, actually. I think they were teaching C++ back then. And then my senior year of high school, they switched over to JavaScript, and so I took the same class again. So I knew pretty early on I liked I liked code. Um, but yeah, went to UK for computer science uh, and computer engineering, um, and just loved the space, loved everything about tech. You know, that's obviously the dot-com bubble era, so everything was happening pretty quick, and mm-hmm. I really just wanted to, to be involved with that. It's amazing you're able to start that early, coding. Yeah, I remember when was it middle school and I was I just learned how to do a few HTML tags. And that was back when like marquee and blink were still HTML tags. And I was like, all right, I'm going to make the coolest website possible. And uh, I would just like open up Notepad, write some HTML and then save it as a dot HTML and show it to my friends as like a web page as if it were actually on the internet but it wasn't and they were they were all shocked and amazed they're like no way you're like one of those computer hackers on the movies and i was like i I felt pretty cool but yeah the earlier you start the better right yeah absolutely you know, it's like you're learning a language it literally is learning a language so oh yeah I the earlier was, you start the more advanced you're going to be as you go on absolutely and i and that was one of the big things that i, I kind of look back on is like if i had waited for the education system to teach me what i needed to know <laughs> i would have been too late right i mm-hmm. i was basically years ahead of the education system teaching the things that i needed um and so i just took advantage of you know all the education on the internet and um you know listeners out there definitely just go ahead and search for yourselves teach for your teach yourselves find the tutorials and really like if if you're interested in something you can learn how to do it without having to wait for someone to teach you you can find out on your own that's kind of took that learning in my own hands and said you know i i want i like this and i want to learn more and i just kept learning and learning and learning yeah yeah it's so important especially i had a friend just like that who i you know started and and you know i've worked with sam marks really talented yeah. engineer and he's the same way you know he was in college dropped out when i did mm-hmm. did you know was, could have taught the classes but yeah you know the whole theme of you know teaching yourself is is very important yeah. i think there's a quote out there it's like there's a difference between um school and education right so mm. it's like self-education is totally different 
Yeah. If you know you, you want to learn something, you got to go all in and teach yeah. yourself. You can't wait on anybody, like you said. Right. And and I always thought that I was at a disadvantage because I'm not a good reader. Um, I read very slowly, and it's it's difficult for me to read. And I just watched the documentary on on Bill Gates yesterday on Netflix, and he can go through I don't know like ten books in like a couple weeks. And that's just amazing to me. I know he's got like an exceptional reading level or reading speed, but, you know, I always thought that it was a disadvantage not being, you know, very, a very good reader, but, um, I just, you know, there's multiple ways to learn. Right. And I was just a doer and I was like, you know what, show me the example, show me the sample code. And, and I just went for it and just did it, uh, and mm-hmm. learned that way. So it's, it's not necessarily a prerequisite that you have to be good at, you know, one sort of discipline to, to be able to learn what you want to learn. Yeah, I think that that self-starterness is just so important, and especially you know in in engineering, computer engineering now, but especially several years ago as well. But at that time, you were still in Lexington, and you were getting involved with with Awesome Inc. and Apex, right? Yeah, so it was in the university days. I think I was a freshman, just on campus, and they had one of those um, like club fairs and slash community fairs where they had all the clubs have a little stand and then they also had community ventures uh, that were able to come to the old student center and one of the tables there stood young Brian Rainey showcasing <laughs> his first startup ukbookexchange.com basically if you know like eCampus and Chegg it's a used textbook marketplace basically and he had, you know, the the cheap, free business cards and a laptop, you know, just the, the scroungiest little table set up trying to advertise his startup. And freshman Tony walks up to the table and says, hey, love your website and your idea. I think I could make some improvements. Are you, you know, interested in talking about like some web development work that I could do on the side? And Brian was like, absolutely. I think it was Brian and like one or maybe two other people. None of them were software developers. They just had the idea. And um, so I was basically from that day, it was very early on in my UK career. Um, I've been hanging out with Brian now, what, 11 years, 12 years. Um, And so I was there for UK Book Exchange. We... um, did some work there. We had some fun, realized it wasn't, you know, super profitable. And then I think that's a couple of years later, or maybe the next year, Brian, uh, Brian and team started Apex software development. Um, so I joined his team as a developer, probably, I don't know what employee number, but, uh, a small number. And, uh, I'd remember the office. We had a rental office out on the edge of town, Man of War, and it was right next door to my dentist. Like it was one of those like strip mall office buildings where you could just rent a suite and I'd walk in there <laughs> and it would be like, you know, an Ikea table and a laptop. And they said, all right, code for a while with like eight other people. Um, so definitely the, the small scale startup feels uh, a lot of fun, but that was my first time like getting paid to develop and I really um, enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah. So that kind of, you know, got me started on that front. What kind of uh, projects were you working on at that time? What was Apex? You know, who were some uh, of the Apex stuff? was just a bunch of really small contracts. And then I remember when we got the government contract, some inventory management system uh, from one branch of the government. 
and it was a big one. And so we pulled a bunch of developers and I was on it as well, um, doing ASP.NET for the first time. And it was, it was a pretty cool experience working on a team and working through that. It was a lot of like databases and inventory management, which actually plays well with what I ended up doing for the rest of my life, basically, was working on you know, these kind of inventory systems, database systems. Uh, so it was, a, it was a pretty good intro on that. Um, and I think that was, did that for a couple of years before the thought of Awesome Inc. came to be. And, uh, and that story started probably around my senior or, or the year after I graduated. Yeah. And so how did that come about? Were you and Brian talking about that before then? Was Brian mentioning things like that? You know, it was so early. Um, he wasn't really talking about the Awesome Inc. space yet. I think that was kind of the point at which I was graduating and moving away from Kentucky was when he was starting the Awesome Inc. So um, I think I remember when Awesome Inc. was purchased, but it hadn't, you know, become the brand or anything that it is today. So uh, very early on, um, it was it was cool to, to see that evolution. But uh, that was the time where I graduated and got accepted at Case Western uh, up in Cleveland, Ohio for my master's program. So, you know, once we get into to talking about the business part of it, I found out that I not only like software development, but I also like business. And so after my undergrad doing software, I decided to do grad school under the business school. So I got a master's in engineering management, uh, which is like an MBA, but designed for engineers. Yeah. Uh, so I did that at Case Western. We need to <clears throat> probably back up a little bit and talk about, you know, Greek track because you started that, you know, while you're in at UK, right? Yeah. So yeah, talk absolutely. about, you know, how that came about. It started as a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talk about the, the origin of that. Yeah. So it was a very kind of accidental but evolutionary process. You know, freshman year joined um my fraternity alpha phi omega it is a co-ed community service fraternity found on the back panel of the boy scouts of america handbook so i was a <laughs> an eagle scout and so you know coming to campus i was looking to continue my lifelong uh service and looking at different service organizations um you know obviously went towards alpha phi omega um seeing that it was based on and founded by eagle scouts um, and, you know, that was a natural place for me to go join that organization and then quickly found out that uh, things were pretty unorganized as far as the paperwork goes. Um, we were a community service organization, but didn't know how many hours of community service or the impact on the community we did. We just did service. We didn't quantify it. So whenever mm-hmm. we told our story, we had no numbers to say. We had no, you know, the, the magnitude of the impact we had in Lexington. Um, and that was one one of the issues. I also noticed, you know, the meetings at chapter meeting was extremely long. They were like two, three hours long. And I was like, there's no need for each person to say all the different events that are going on at the time, where to show up. And then they literally put out pieces of paper at the front of the desk, uh, at the front of the room. And whatever event you wanted to sign up for, you would run to the front of the room and write your name down. And that's how we did event sign up. Um, obviously this is like at the very beginnings of Facebook. So Facebook wasn't super big at that time. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. (laughs) It is crazy (laughs) to think about. Um, but yeah, we did our events on sheets of paper and we tracked our hours on an Excel document 
and uh, it was just not scalable. And so uh, the very, I think that's that first year when I was a freshman, the vice president of communications, which was in charge of like our email newsletter, um, stepped down from his position. So there was an odd, you know, half of a year term available. And so I ran for it and got it, seeing that I was, I think, the only computer science person. They're like, oh, computer science newsletter, those are the same. <laughs> so you can do that, those online things. Uh, and But I, I guess just natural me, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to limit myself to what was done before. I'm going to see, you know, what else I can do. And so I used that as my pet project. I saw that problem of, you know, the records management in my chapter. And I was like, you know what? I think I can use this as a pet project and build some sort of online system to do event sign up and service hour tracking. And that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. And ultimately it became chapter um, management, like yep. basically a CRM for chapters. Exactly. And so Greek track from that was basically version one of Greek track 10 mm-hmm. years ago now. Um, and all it did, yeah, was you can post service projects, people can sign up. And then if they go, they got those service hours credited to their accounts. And then over time, that grew to, okay, now the social chair wants to be able to put their social events and the leadership chair wants to put their leadership events. So I would you know, expand the product a little bit more to allow to do those event types and then you know, custom event types. Um, and then yeah. you know, from there, uh, the, the chapter really caught on and used it full on. And so when we went to our Kentucky conference where all the different chapters in Kentucky come together from U of L, Eastern, et cetera. The Eastern Kentucky University chapter said, Whoa, where did you get that system? Like, that would be super helpful. And I was like, Oh, I, I built it. I can, you know, copy it for you. And they'd be like, Oh, that's awesome. So I literally copied the folder, pasted it, relabeled it, and then uploaded it. And so they had the same thing that we had. Um, and then later that year, we went to our regional conference and the U of L chapter was like, oh, that's so cool. We would love it, too. And that's the moment my brain clicked and I was like, I can sell it to you. <laughs> and that's that was the first day of my business. I had no idea I was going to start a business, but it was just, you know, I saw the problem. I solved it for my own unique chapter. And then it was a good enough solution that other people saw the value and you know, value is business. So that's where I started selling to chapters in my own fraternity. Yeah. I want to dive into the functionality of the the software a little bit. So Tony, we've talked about this. I was in a fraternity, uh, Theta Chi there at UK. And I think for, for people who were not in Greek life, you know, sometimes they think of a fraternity as a, a club of people who then drink, which yeah, that happens. But also like it's a, it's a real, organization it's a business and like you were mm-hmm. mentioning there's a service focus to it some also have um you know involvement with student government and there's all different facets of a, a small business basically and so just like startups and other companies now need software tailored to their operations a chapter and a fraternity of course needs that as well mm-hmm. so do you want to talk a little bit about the different aspects of the software and its different functions and you know how they have a tangible impact on chapters across the country yeah absolutely and it's you know like i said evolved over time and yeah. uh in a very more like agile or, or lean startup kind of way in that every single year there'd be a new set of things that are interesting to chapters and so what it's kind of come to now is a full chapter management 
platform that chapters can use to manage their membership rosters. Uh, so mm-hmm. that is the entire membership lifecycle from interested students on campus coming to your info sessions or through recruitment, uh, tracking them through the education process, through the initiation ceremony, where they become full members. While they're full members, um, you can then track all of their involvement. So you put all of your events on the event calendar. Um, people can sign up for events. And then by doing that, they get event credit. So each chapter will have different requirements. Like you must do 20 service 20 hours of community service in the area that semester. You must attend um, five leadership development courses like public speaking, um, different you know leadership uh, oriented um, courses that we offer on the fraternity in the fraternity. Um, you must go to maybe a couple inner chapter or conferences where you'll get uh, education from different speakers. Um, so you'll have all of this requirement credit and we track all of that so that mm-hmm. the officers of the chapter can know, you know, who's made their checklist that semester or not. Um, we do all the financial management for them as well. So treasurers can manage their budget on the Greek track as well as collect dues online um, and mm-hmm. all of, you know, all the finances that go to that. And then we've continued to expand it with a lot of uh, retention capabilities. So you can have awards on there that you can give. And then you can also set up achievements for people to unlock. So, you know, mm-hmm. our chapter, we have to do only 20 service hours, but we have that achievement if you do 50 or 100. Um, actually, any citizen in the United States, if you do 100 service hours, you can get the Presidential Service Award uh, signed by the White House. So it is, uh, we, we can track all of that information so that our members can, can get, you know, those kind of awards. Um, and then we continue to, to go above and beyond. Obviously, there's the file management so that the people with the right privileges can see the right files. Um, email management so you can send out emails to your chapter mm-hmm. or just a part of it. SMS texting, message boards, uh, everything that you can think of is in there. And then also you can add in your chapter advisors. So like make sure the adults can see everything and uh, yeah. be able to manage all of that kind of information. So that's kind of the basis of Greek track for chapters. Um, but the story continues uh, as we go, you know, continue in our chat. Um, I'll, I'll kind of move into how this has evolved, not only serving chapters, but now we serve the national headquarters as well. Yeah. Let's, um, you know, let's let's also make another transition here. We'll get back to Greek track because, you know, in your own personal life and your professional life, you took a kind of a turn. Um a few years after you know doing Greek track, you said you got involved in business and wanted to learn more about business and started studying it, and then you went to Microsoft. Yeah, so talk about that whole process. That was big. Um, so career fair at Case Western. Uh, I show up to the career fair with my uh, with my resumes all printed and ready to go, and I walk around to all of the the different booths, and I knew I wanted to go to a, a pretty large organization if i weren't going to do my own business i wanted it to do to do something big Um, microsoft had a booth there and so i walk up to the microsoft booth with my web developer oriented resume and i hand it to them and they look at me and they read my resume and they're like why are you applying for a software developer position and i said what do you mean they were like you have a company and you have business experience you should definitely look at the program manager role uh, I said, what is that? <laughs> and so they definitely, you know, you know, took the time to sit with me and explain how 
the program manager role uh, in, in tech is more like a startup founder where you will you know, do some research with competitors, you'll uh, look at customer feedback, and you will be the one to design the next feature for that product, and then you will pitch. You'll pitch your feature idea to management, and then if you uh, get selected, you get funding, which is developer days, and then you implement your feature. So you get assigned a, a set of developers, you develop the feature over the next release cycle, and then you ship it, you know, work with the UX designers to make it all um, perfect and fit fit well and, and usable. And then you ship it and look at the analytics and then follow up and then do any iterations off of that. And I said, that's literally like a startup, but inside a company where, yeah. you know, you're managing that product, uh, that feature set inside that product. And I said, that sounds perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. You know, it's bridging the gap between uh, software and business. Uh, inside an established business. And so I said, absolutely, let's do that. And uh, went through the interview process and was accepted to Microsoft as a program manager for the uh, Microsoft Business Solutions team doing their CRM software. So Dynamics CRM. Uh, One of their biggest products, right? It is uh, quite big, yeah. It's definitely part of the... Salesforce competitor. Salesforce competitor. Um, And so they shipped me out to Seattle and it was really funny, the, the day I interviewed at Microsoft, that was a Monday, and the Friday before that was at Bloomberg. So I was at Bloomberg <laughs> Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then flew literally cross-country to Microsoft to interview there, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, quite a weekend, two very different companies, one very East Coast and one very West Coast. Um, and so it was, uh, it was a breath of fresh air to, to, to join at Microsoft. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Quite some interviews lined up back to back that you had. Um, but so how long how long were you at Microsoft first off? Yeah, Microsoft was just about five years. Uh did five years in Seattle. Five years. And so talk a little bit about, you know, your progression as a program manager there and then what eventually caused you, you know, to decide to pursue Greek track full time. Uh, Microsoft is an absolutely amazing company to work for. Uh, they do a lot of employee growth, um, encouraging employees to you know take their own path. They actually hired me. You know, one of the questions I had for them during the interview loop because I noticed I was being interviewed by uh, you know members of older generations, and so I asked them, you know, how many people my age are on the team, and they're like, "That's a great question. We're actually only hiring from your generation because." We want to we want to throw some life into these boring you know productivity <laughs> apps right like it's a it's something that salespeople see every day it's something that call centers use every day uh, but it doesn't need to be boring so um, that was their goal and they actually they did what they said you know the next I think twelve hires were all twenties uh, and thirties and young thirties um, so it was great to to really be a part of that team uh, it really showed me you know when you're developing software you're always thinking of the user in mind. But when you're developing software for Microsoft, you have to think of the user in every country, in every language, with every technical skill and every disability and ability. It's like a completely different world. And um, I think that was a a really big thing for me to see is how big uh, these products can become and all the different things to think about as you build products for people to use. Was the CEO Steve Ballmer at that time? Uh, yes, Steve Ballmer 
and that lasted about two years and then switched over to Satya. And yeah. you could feel it, that moment that the CEO changed, the, the whole company just felt different. That's what I was going to ask about because, um, you know, Satya has done an amazing job. I mean, I was going to ask. the company. Yeah, totally transformed the company. And you, know, you you just mentioned that, you know, things totally mm-hmm. changed. What, what was the difference? And what was it like being in there in the first place, uh, being in a company that big and that impactful to the world? I mean, Microsoft is, you know, him and uh, Steve Jobs, you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs built mm-hmm. at the time two biggest companies going head to head. What was that? Right. atmosphere like uh it was not just that you were there during that <laughs> right. head to head but like you were there you know in general right yeah no i mean i i was definitely a tech fanboy of all the tech companies i remember when i went to san francisco to do a, a pitch competition for greek track uh, i even stopped by the google headquarters just to take picture with their logo right like mm-hmm. as soon as i got on campus at microsoft and got my official a, you know, employee badge with my name and the Microsoft logo on it. I was like, wow, like I'm a part of something that's big that a lot of people, you know, use to build their businesses and to, you know, do their work and to get educated and to, to talk with their family across the world. Um, so it was just very empowerful to, to be at a company that has so much impact on people's lives. And walking around the campus, you can tell like it's every culture is there, every age group is there. Um, it's it's a culture that's really open and welcoming, and uh, you know they're there literally to to make your lives easier. That's I mean that's the idea of Microsoft is is to just you know let people empower people to do to do their best um, and and provide the tools for it. And so everything that happened in the company was that way. Now to talk to your question about the different CEOs. Um, you can just see it in the direction, you know, with Balmer, it was all about how can we drive more people to use, you know, Microsoft's products where Microsoft was kind of the head of uh, innovation. Whereas as soon as we switched over to Satya, um, Microsoft, you know, was just, was just in the background. It was all about how can we you know, empower the people with the devices that they already have be successful. And how can we, you know, we want to put the person, the user, the customer first and let them, uh, you know, just provide the services that they need, uh, but not having to, to do more of like a closed system like Apple has chosen to do. And, uh, you know, being open and willing to work with any company across divisions um, it really opened up a lot of opportunities for, for Microsoft to, to grow and, and have all these new partners. I mean, you're, you're seeing a lot more open source code coming from Microsoft. Um, you're seeing a lot more collaborations with companies instead of acquisitions. Um, so you're seeing a lot of more of that collaborative ecosystem that, that we really, that I really enjoyed, you know, at, at Microsoft being able to just, um, you know, call up other companies and say, Hey, let's work together. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the fun stuff of Microsoft. Was there any like West Coast company like water slide in the office or anything like that? Oh, fun stuff. I'm all about fun stuff. So <laughs> um, I think part of, you know, hiring me, they they also got my fun side too. So as soon as I got there, I was like, so, you know, what are like the morale events here? And they're like, well, mm-hmm. um, we have like a family picnic 
And I was like, that's really cool for all the families that have children, but you're about to, as you mentioned, hire a bunch of 20s and young 30s that probably haven't even thought of that yet. So they were like, why don't you do it? I said, cool. So they gave me a corporate credit card (laughs) and uh, allowed me to put on events and uh, <laughs> we had crazy. some good events. Uh, once a month, we, we you know, brought the kegs out and um, you know, had food and drink. And anybody who wanted to, you know, if they were in a band, they could come and play. Um, we, had, we had just a lot of, a lot of fun. We did um, you know, dodgeball with Nerf guns. So we had a little Nerf tournament. Uh, oh, so cool. we turned the cafeteria into a little Nerf tournament. Uh, but there's so many people on campus. There's always something going on. So I'm a big board yeah. gamer. So there's uh, three or four board gaming groups that happen all the time on campus. Um, the soccer fields are always full. The basketball f- courts are always full. So there's just it was just a really good environment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's open. Everything is pretty chill. So there's always dogs in the office. Um, there's always a keg in somebody's office if you just need to go and chill out for a little bit um but it's it's a pretty pretty relaxed environment steve really ballmer like seemed like a big keg guy <laughs> i probably uh that's that's awesome uh talk about you know you you ultimately you obviously left microsoft why when i did that. um it was a it was a tough decision but uh, you know it's 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 it was a big decision i don't know if it was a tough decision um, essentially Greek track was doing its own thing. I never left it to die. I just left it to grow on its own. So the site was up. People could sign up for free trials automatically. As soon as they did that, you know, they got their chapter website set up for them instantly. They could log in and start using it. So I didn't have to do anything to acquire customers. Um, word of mouth was allowing Greek track to grow, but it was growing linearly. And linear is fine for spending, you know, no time or an hour a week on it. Um, and eventually, after five years of linear growth, it started making the same money as my Microsoft salary, which is uh, something to say. Uh, Seattle salaries are quite a lot more than <laughs> Kentucky salaries. Yeah. So, so and you were spending like one hour a week and it was yeah about out. yeah about an hour a week um yes. and i have a couple of mantras that i live by um and one of them that helped me do that one hour a week one is uh well i'll tell you two of them i have a two mantras i have a zero one infinity rule that one of my teachers at uk taught me at, in in computer science it's essentially whenever a user has a decision um there's only three answers for how you how you solve it you either give them zero options they can't do it you give them one option they can do it this way only or you let them do it infinitely number of ways uh and that helped me scale right because the first time i set it up i was like you can make service projects then as soon as the social chair asked me to make social events i was like well i just broke the zero one infinity rule now i have to code all this stuff over again so following zero one infinity let me you know build a system that's so configurable and customizable that it doesn't matter what chapter from what fraternity or what sorority is joining. They can set it up the way they want it because uh, I don't limit them anywhere. So that let me just let it grow on its own without me having to do a bunch of work each time a new fraternity joined. Uh, they could just change the colors and logos and good to go. Um, and the second mantra I have is whenever I have a support ticket, um, every single support ticket is a design opportunity. And so... I never close a support ticket without making a code change. 
Um, so whenever wow. someone's like, it can be as simple as I can't figure out how to reset my password. Well, I could have easily, you know, reset their password on the back end and said, you know, here you go and close the ticket. Um, but that doesn't solve the root problem, right? So I was like, okay, obviously the forgot password link is not in the right place or it's not big enough or it's not, you know, it's, it's a design opportunity. So um, doing that allowed me to get my, you know, support tickets down to like, I don't know, two a month. Like it was tiny because every single time something came up, you know, I would fix it, not just solve it, but fix it. And then I would never see that kind of support ticket again. So that kind of let it grow linearly. And uh, yeah, after five years, uh, it made the same amount as Microsoft. And so I was like, well, having two incomes, but only working at one job is kind of awesome. Uh, So I did that for a while, padded the bank account. But then I was (laughs) like, um, it, it kind of all happened at once. So that December, Microsoft, my team announced that they were opening up an office in India and they were going to have a lot of the development done in India instead of the United States. Um, Cause you can hire, I think it was like seven Indian developers for one US developer. So- Of the same skill level or what? No. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, so they were, there were a lot more of them, but they required more attention. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously they produced great code but you'd have to do a couple of maybe three or four revisions instead of one or two revisions and uh that was fine for the business but that meant i was working you know nine to five or really ten to four in seattle and then going home and making dinner and then i would have to get back online at nine or ten p.m.s when they were waking up in india to start answering all their questions and working through, you know, the the work, um, seeing that I was essentially the project manager at that point uh, for the for the feature, and so that was the point where I was like, well, you know, I I have these two incomes, but one of them is is taking up so much time, I don't really have time, you know, personal time. Um, so I said, you know, this sounds like the right time to see if I can turn that linear growth at Greek Track to more of a hockey stick. And, uh, and that was the moment I was like, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to drop Microsoft and pour all that time into Greek track and see, see how far I can grow it. Hmm. You wanted to move back to Lexington. Yeah. After I quit Microsoft, um, there was no need to pay, you know, $2,300 a month in rent. I was going to ask why. So <laughs> you just love Lexington or you want to avoid um, the cost? I love Lexington. Um, both. My family is in Lexington. So I grew up here. My parents yeah. are here. Uh, my wife's parents are in Louisville. So we knew we wanted to move back to Lexington or Louisville. Um, but we both went through UK and just loved Lexington. And so we ended up choosing Lexington. And um, it's just it's just a great city. Uh, as we look into potentially starting our family soon, we wanted to be close to family to do that. And then Lexington itself, I think, in I don't know multiple years in a row, has received top ten cities yeah. in the United States to raise a family. So yep. it's just a really nice place. And we looked at Seattle and we we're like, where do you send your kids? Like it's there's it's just concrete. You can't just like open the door and be like, go have fun, come back for dinner, (laughs) right? Like that's kind of what I'm used to in in my neighborhood when I I grew up. You know, I'd drive around at Los Angeles and be like, what are the kids doing? Right. I was like, and and Seattle's just a very young city. I mean, 
it's not technically a majority, but just about everyone is in their 20s. Um, there are more dogs than children per capita in Seattle. That gives you any indication. Are you serious? Yes. So it is a <laughs> very like young city. Fact. I mean, I loved spending my 20s in Seattle. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, after work on a Wednesday, I would hop in the car and in 30 minutes, I would be on my snowboard in a mountain, you know, under the glow of the night lights as they had night skiing. And then I'd come back and camp on the outskirts of Seattle. And then in the next morning, I'd come back, shower at the office and go to work on Thursday. Like it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a completely different world and everyone's doing that. It's, it's not like, where do you want to go grab a drink after work? It's like, let's go rock climb for a while. And there's a bar in the rock climbing gym. So you just rock climb for a while, then have a drink and then, you know, head your way. But it's, it's a completely different world. Uh, but you know, as I get closer to, to wanting to start my family, I, I start thinking about that. And, uh, with my parents here in Lexington and hers in Louisville, Kentucky obviously was the choice in Lexington, um, won the Lexington Louisville decision there. And, uh, I love it. And as soon as I landed in Lexington, I called Brian and said, Hey, how can I get involved? How can I help? How can I, mm -hmm. you know, continue, um, the entrepreneurship, especially what I've learned from Seattle, um, what I've learned from Microsoft. And I was in, involved in the startup world in Seattle. And so I was like, I want to bring a taste of that to Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, and Brian got me connected really quickly with, you know, I, uh, with Five Across and everything. Speaking of Five Across, um, little fact, little known fact, I was in the first Five Across, 2009, I believe. Really? And I was the I was, uh, Brian called me up and was like, "Hey, I know you got this little startup going. We we need companies to to pitch. You know, like we want to start five across, but we need companies." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll pitch it." You know, not knowing you know how big of a business it was going to become, and um, you know that was one of the turning points of, of Greek Track as well. As I pitched it, and the judges were like, "Wow, this has got some potential." And you know, when you build your own thing, you're like, you love it, right? It's your baby. You're like, obviously everyone's gonna love it. It's a good thing. Um, and then, you know, you got some paying customers, but you know, they're all my fraternity. So like, are they buying it because, you know, we're fraternity brothers or are they buying it because it's actually good? And then the judges saying like, it's good. I was like, wow, okay, maybe I do have something here. And then, uh, you know, five across, if you win your month, you get to pitch again in December for the big check. Uh, pitched again in December and ended up winning. So I, I became the first five across champion. And when I received that big check of at the time, it was 4,500. I was like, whoa, this is cool. That gave me the validation to like continue, you know, working on that program even after graduation. So I think that was one of the, the key moments as well is in, in, in getting that validation from people outside of my circles. Yeah, for sure. So, so talk about, where Greek Trek is now. I know we were talking about the functionality earlier and then you hinted at yeah. uh, you're working a lot with the international uh, headquarters of these organizations now. Right. You know, how does that look different on the software side and then obviously on the business side as well? So up to the story I've told so far is, is more B2C, right? It's me selling mm -hmm. to individual chapters, individual students on campuses. Well, working at Microsoft, it was all B2B software, right? We were selling... CRM systems for sales teams at enterprise businesses to use. And so that kind of got me thinking, you know, could this be used on a higher level? And, 
I also at that time got elected a national board position at my own fraternity. Um, so I was in charge of Alaska, um, Washington, Oregon, and um, a couple other states in the Northwest. And mm-hmm. that kind of gave me an insight into how the national fraternities work um, or more so don't work. And I was like, they don't have the data from all of their individual members. And, you know, we're a national community service fraternity. And on the national level, we couldn't answer how many service hours do we do nationally? Same problem, but the national level uh, or even international level. And so that is kind of the idea that spawned what if I take this platform I've built on the chapter level and start building on top of it in this pyramid structure of, of fraternity and sorority organizations. And mm-hmm. as soon as I left Microsoft, I devoted the entire next year to building out that platform. So today, what Greek Track is, today I sell to international fraternities, sororities, and honor societies uh, to do their national membership management and uh, financial management and event management. Um, So I have the national database. And what I do that's so unique in the space is when they sign a contract with Greek Track, the headquarters gets their headquarters portal, but every single chapter gets their own chapter website. Every single colony, you know, the universities that want to start a chapter, they get their own management portal to help them start their chapter. The alumni associations all of those local alumni associations across the country get their own website to manage their alumni associations. And then all of the middle tier management. So every fraternity separates into like provinces or regions of the country and they have their own staff to manage the region. So we even give their regional staff their own site where they can just see the data inside the chapters inside their geographic regions. And so now I have built out this hierarchical privilege model and access model where, you know, the headquarters can see everything. The regions can see the, you know, people and records underneath them. Uh, they can be divided into sub regions. And then below that, they can be uh, have all of their chapters and, and alumni associations. And so now I have this national platform uh, that's very different than traditional CRMs where, uh, you know, headquarters has the CRM. They have the data, they have the database, and that's it. And they ask the chapters, you know, how many members do you have and who's on your roster? They update it once a year or maybe twice a year. And that's all they have with Greek track. Now, um, their chapters have that power to manage their own rosters. And so now instead of two data points a year, headquarters, uh, international headquarters has infinite data points a year because they just log in and see that raw data being generated at all the different chapter websites across the country uh, or countries. And uh, it's completely revolutionized data management, membership management in the fraternal space. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so now, you know, it's a pure B2B business. And uh, a little sneak peek into the future of Greek Track is we'll be moving into uh, association management here pretty soon, uh, seeing that the same model can be used for, for different industry associations as well. So lots of really cool stuff happening at Greek Track. Um, but the fraternal space is is a big one as well that what's, that we're attacking. What's the competition look like? Competition is very uh, very segmented. So there are competitors that do various things. For example, we have one competitor that does um, fundraising. Right, you want to collect 
donations from your members or from the community to help fund your uh, fraternity. Well, we have that as a module, right? You can have your donor management module and you can add that to your platform. Uh, there's one that does, just does financial management. So they collect dues um, for Omega house Phi? rent and all of that. Omega Phi is one of them, yeah. Oh, I hate them so much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as you name all the competitors, you know, they've been around for 20, 10 to 20 yeah. years um, and they've not had to really innovate. So if you look at their systems, you can tell they're 10, 20 years old. So I think that's, you know, what's so different with Greetrack is that uh, we're trying to be that one-stop shop where the competitors are being that, you know, best in breed. And so obviously it's a decision that each fraternity sorority makes. But if you want to buy one thing that can do all of it, uh, you can come to Greetrack. Or if you want to buy 10 things and then hope that their systems can talk to each other, you could do that, but obviously, um, you know, we've we've kind of disrupted the space a little bit, uh, being being that modular. So we have we have ten different modules uh, that fraternities and sororities can can add on. Um, so the thing that I think you know impresses me the most is not necessarily the platform, but your choice of a lifestyle. Um, you've chosen not to, not to inject venture capital. You've chosen to let this kind of just like I said, fuel your chosen lifestyle. You live on a farm outside of Lexington. Sounds like an awesome lifestyle. Your wife is working full time for you now. Just sounds like a really unique situation. Talk about that because that's the thing that interests me the most about your decision to go into entrepreneurship. But this idea of you know lifestyle, startup, technology, entrepreneurship. You know, it's interesting. Right. Yeah, and that's that's one of the the core things that when I talk to startup founders or, or people interested in startups is you really need to understand. You know, before you get too far along, what's the goal of the business? And the goal for my business was never to, you know, become a multimillionaire, um, you know, or, or become, you know, the next Bill Gates. My idea was I would like to build a business that would be able to pay my bills and let me go on vacation and enjoy life uh, as, you know, the fun of business and the fun of startups is a draw in itself. You know, I love, you know, trying to think of what I'm going to be building next. How can I sell it better? What's how, how many users are using it? You know, all of that drives me more than, you know, bringing in the next hundred thousand or whatever it is. And so, the idea is I've built this lifestyle company. I never knew what it was beforehand. I think that terminology, I just never came across my desk, but um, it has been coined a lifestyle business. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, like I mentioned before, I went to um, I went to San Francisco to do a pitch competition and showcased Greek track. You know, that's where all of the big players were. And there were a lot of investors in the room. I actually got an investor on the spot said, you know, we'll go ahead and put down quarter of a million for you, you know, if you're interested. And, you know, that was a big, big moment. One that, again, another person validated that this was a business worth pursuing. But it was a big moment in deciding, you know, do I want this business uh, to be the grow quickly and sell or a lifestyle because you give up control once you get those investors you do give up control and it's not only control of the business but it's control of your life yeah right you you need to make milestones you need to go in a direction of growth at every turn 
sometimes I build modules that are just for for comfort, for fun, for you know achievements. Unlockable achievements is not going to you know raise the bottom line, but it's things that people enjoy, um, and you know it makes it more attractive. But I don't think an investor is going to love spending you know a, a lot of development time on that. So I think what I really wanted is you know a business that that could just satisfy my lifestyle. And I remember looking at uh, entrepreneurship talk. There was a speaker. Can't remember exactly who the speaker was, but the slide was shown of different ways you can exit as a company, and there were ten different ways listed. And you know, in People the news, only talk about two of them, yeah, right? in the news, and you know, what makes the headlines is you know big investment. You know, pushed really hard, slept barely slept, had five to ten open credit cards. You know, really pushed it hard, grew a huge team, and then sold for you know, multi-million, billion-dollar exit, right? That's you, the story you hear. You get paid $2 billion to exit your own company and give it up to SoftBank. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you see these in the headlines and you think that's the only way to do business, but it's not. This slide of 10 different ways to exit was, just has stayed in my mind for all these years. And it's like, that's not the only way. You can build a business with the idea of, of just sustaining your own life. And that's kind of where I want. And my goal now is, uh, now that I, you know, have a business that is sustaining the lifestyle is to, to bring, you know, more jobs to Kentucky. Cause at the end of the day, you know, what, what is business? Why, why have a business? It's to provide people with livelihoods so that they can, you know, live the life that they want to live. And so, you know, the more the more jobs that we can create, the more successful a business is, in my opinion, more so than how many dollars are you bringing in for the founders or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the idea is that, you know, startups, you don't have to think that you need to take a bunch of money, grow really fast and sell it. Feel free to, you know, enjoy the ride. Um, I, I love waking up every day and not knowing what I'm going to do. Uh, not knowing necessarily what hat I'm putting on. Nobody to report to. Yeah, today was HR. Um, so now that my wife is working full time, uh, we don't have health insurance through a company. So <laughs> today was looking through health insurance plans and purchasing one, right? Um, but tomorrow I'm going to be doing you know data import for a new client. And the next day I'm going to be developing our new e-commerce platform for fraternities to sell uh, items to their members. So it's... It's really fun to do different things every day um, and and learn so much. You know, when I switched the company from B2C to B2B, the sales tactics, I had to throw everything I knew away about selling because B2B selling is so different. Mm -hmm. And so that was just exciting as well as to learn new skills um, and not just technical skills. So I think the fun of building a business and seeing where it goes is, is what excites me about the startup community um, and not having to worry about growing it so quickly and, and trying to figure out how to sell it. Uh, that if that's not your goal, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can have as much fun and be as successful as you want to be you know, taking that different path.